Welcome to the Cover Two Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23rd, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover Two Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover Two Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover Two podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. I'm joined today by former Major League Baseball player and author, Daryl Strawberry. Daryl was a prolific slugger that played for both professional New York baseball teams, the Mets and the Yankees, between 1983 and 1999. Despite eight consecutive All-Star Game appearances and four World Series championships, his 17-year career was plagued with struggles with substance use disorder. Here to tell us a little bit about his struggles, as well as how he overcame them and how he's giving back to the community is Daryl Strawberry. So, Daryl, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Greg. It's great to have you here. You've had a lot of ups and downs in your life. So, today, where do we want to start this story? Could we start back? I always like to start back because I think it's important people know where people come from. Just because I played Major League Baseball and was successful, people don't realize that I was broken, you know, from a childhood. My father was an alcoholic and he kind of said I never mounted nothing, never was a lot of beating, a lot of abuse, and went through a real struggle of finding myself and being who I am and what I am. On the inside, I was broken and hurting, so there was pain there, and my pain would lead me to my greatness to play baseball, but my greatness would eventually lead me to my destructive behavior. You were really close to, you had two brothers growing I up? Had two brothers, yes. And two the three sisters. of you were very close. Family, mom, yes. My mother mm-hmm. raised five of us by herself. Wow. And uh, she was a remarkable woman, and she passed at a very young age, 55, terminal breast cancer. So we dealt with a lot of, sh- lot of stuff early in our age as kids, and, and seeing our household be in dysfunction because of my dad. And he didn't know any better. His father, he's he just repeating what he saw his father doing his household, yeah. and it's a repeated habit that takes place in people's lives, and and we don't know that, but unfortunately, it, it I did the same thing that my father did, became who he was, which I said I would never become in my lifetime because of what I saw in the household. So at the young age of, I believe it was 13 years old, you decided that you were tired of this. You and your brothers confronted your father one evening when he came home. Tell yeah, us a little was, bit about you that. Know, one evening he came home and said he was going to kill the whole family, pulled out a shotgun, and me and my brothers went into action, and we came very close to killing my father. Um, 
it would have been a tragedy in my life before I ever put a uniform on. And I tell people all the time, I was already scarred before I ever put a uniform on. I was already hurting before I ever put a baseball uniform on. The uniform just covers up. Just like when we dress up and look in the mirror at ourselves, we just cover up who we really are. We look good on the outside, but on the inside, we're really hurting. And yeah. so many people find themselves in that desperate situation of hurting. And how do I get out of it? And how do I make myself look good when I go out in public? Because we can't let neighbors know. We can't let people know because we're supposed to have this wonderful life as a family. And unfortunately, a lot of times we don't, and we don't deal with that. And we end up in real dark places in our life yeah. um, because of that, because we don't deal with the real pain. So how did you find baseball? Well, I think through the pain of who I was, I wanted to do something uh, I liked baseball when I was watching it early when I was growing up, and I just thought it was so attractive to me at that point when I was hurting that I would become a Major League Baseball player. I just made my mind up that I was going to do it when I was at the age of 13. After my father left the house, I realized no one would ever control me again, and now I get a chance to you know, open myself up to play sports. And There were a lot of different coaches coming around and really encouraging me and helping me because I didn't have a father. So they were trying to guide me and help me, and they led me into baseball, basketball, football, and showed me that I can have an opportunity to probably play if I wanted to, if I was motivated and confident and believing in myself. And, and I really started to believe in myself and believe that one day that I could be a Major League Baseball player. So you started off fast with the Mets. I mean, your career kind of took off your rookie year. You had a tremendous rookie year. Terrell Strawberry was the rookie of the year in 1983 for the New York Mets. Yeah, I mean, I started off when I came to the big leagues when I was 21 years old. So there was a lot to learn, still a lot to learn about life. I was supposed to probably be in college somewhere, still learning. But here I was in the major leagues and playing in New York City. So I really had to watch guys and learn life, you know, from the guys that I was around because I was still very fragile inside, you know, and I really wanted to um, be a part of and just fit in with guys. And, and these were a lot of veteran players, and there were a lot of, you know, there were a lot of wrong things that were going on and I was saying, but I, I just kind of fell into it because I wanted to be a part. I thought this is what the big leagues was all about. Sure. So who were your mentors, Daryl, at that time? You know, Jim Fry was a hitting coach, and I just remember him telling me, if you ever want to be great at playing at this level, you need to be at the ballpark early every day. So I started going to the ballpark around 2 o'clock every day, just to prepare for a 7 o'clock game. And that's how I learned what baseball was already was really all about, is learning to work on my fundamentals every day, no matter how good you were, but to continue to work hard to become the best. And, and I was so motivated because I wanted to become the best because I believed inside myself that I would, I wasn't worth anything, you know, because my father had already put that label on me, and it was very difficult for me to shake that. And I just wanted to prove to myself that I can play at this level and become a great baseball player. So you're with the Mets. Everything's going great. When did substance abuse begin to creep into things? Well, it was already there at the beginning. I mean, when I was first, my rookie year, I got introduced to cocaine. I got introduced to the lifestyle. Mm. Um so that was part of the, the crowd that you just fell in with and well, started running with players, and thought, yeah. that's was, just part of the program. Yeah, it was part of the program. Gotcha. And it was a lifestyle, real lifestyle, and 
you know, the temptations were real and, mm-hmm. you know, nightlife and 21, you know, guys taking me to the bars and showing me the girls and and got into some drugs early and started using early. And, and there, there you find yourself, this becomes just a part of your life. So I, I, I really never thought about how good I really was all those years I was playing each year. Um, I just kept drinking, I kept partying, I kept going out all the time. And then had I known I was really that good, I probably would, would have taken better, better care of myself, but I just didn't know. Um, mm-hmm. So I was open to anything and you can only do it for so long, just put it like that. It's mm-hmm. only gonna stop working for so long, especially at that level and that lifestyle because the more you do, uh, the further you go downhill and your skills start to decline. You start to slow down because physically your body can only take so much. If you're out there pounding every night and you got to play every night, you can only take so much. Your body's going to start breaking down. So I started breaking down and having injuries and this and that, you know, because I know I didn't take real good care of myself. If I would have took real good care of myself, I probably could have done a little bit more and probably would have been um, in a different different place in my baseball life uh, as a professional athlete uh, had I known um, how good I really was. Uh, amazing to think about it because you say you didn't take care of yourself and yet your baseball career lasted over 17 years, did it not? Yes, it did. It did last over amazing. 17 years. You know, with a lot of ups and downs and in-betweens and roundabouts and you know fall downs on your face and just just it lasted 17 years but if when i sometime when i look back if i if i hadn't taken care of myself i probably would have been 20 years 20 something years plus you know healthy mm-hmm. and you know drinking and partying and getting up and playing and getting addicted to amphetamines and all kind of things just to keep you going um eventually one day that's gonna that's gonna stop and it's gonna slow you down and your your whole mindset will change and you become a different person. So your your sentiments that you've expressed there uh, about some regrets in your career, not taking care of yourself, um, when you realized how much talent you had, actually Mickey Mantle expressed those same sentiments late in life. Yeah, well, yeah. You're in good company, I guess, <laughs> is the point there. Well, Mickey was a phenomenal player, you know, yeah. and when you play at that level and you understand had I known how good I was and taking better care of myself, it could have been a different outlook you know, for himself and myself too, even though we did well. We did well because of talent. And when you have the talent and you have the courage you know, to go out there and perform and not worry about you know, what, other, what other people are thinking, and a lot of times I'm quite sure Mickey was probably the same way. He didn't worry about what other people were thinking because I'm quite sure they were talking about him. They were talking about his yeah. nightlife. Yeah. Before we move too far away from your career for just a second, I'd like you to share with us the best moment for you as a Major League Baseball player. The best moment is winning ball games. Um, is there a particular moment, though, Daryl, that kind of jumps out at you? Well, I think my rookie year, being called up to the Major Leagues, and I remember after... 1983, I went to AAA for the first month, and then they called me up the next month in May. And I just remember the fact that coming to the Major Leagues, I was so excited, and this was my dream to to be a Major League Baseball player. And there it was, who I see in the front row when I come out to play was my mom. <laughs> so that was, that was a moment that, you know, I could just never 
it's so hard to be able to explain that. You know, it's just a, a moment that I always believed I wanted to make her so proud of me and happy. You know, the fact that I wanted to play baseball and, and she was always there to encourage me and help me understand that I could do it. Wow. So I want to transition now um, and get into your struggles. Those have been well documented. So I don't want to go into them in, in great detail here. If somebody wants to learn about it, they certainly can look that up. But what I do want to hear about is when you finally decided enough is enough and, and when it was time to make a change and how you did that. It's very hard. I think people don't have the compassion for people who are suffering with addiction and they look at them and just saying, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And they don't realize that it, it's, it's a real hurting inside of who I am and, and what I believe in. And, and the struggle is real and it's a process. And I think a lot of times people think it's an overnight miracle that's just gonna happen yeah. where someone is gonna get well. And sure. it's not an overnight miracle. People don't understand once someone uses something that alters their mind, it changes them. And it takes a long time and it takes a process, it's, it's a process before the brain even comes back. And the brain is affected and I think a lot of times people don't understand um, any, kind of, any kind of drug alters, alters the brain, it changes your thought process and you become a different person and you wish you could just fall back into being who you um, used to be and you try that and it just doesn't work until until you go through the process of being educated and being educated about addiction, being educated about hurts, being educated about habits and things that needs to be changed and the people and places and things that you need to stay away from because that's so hard once you uh, get accustomed to that kind of uh, routine. It's so hard for you just to push, push back and push away and go the other way. And you have to really be in, introduced to some real new things in your life and, and new people who can, who can walk with you, who can help you, who, who doesn't beat you up, who loves you right where you're at but doesn't, don't have to tolerate you. You know when people don't understand addiction and they don't understand what's wrong with a person? It's not the drugs and alcohol, it's the behavior of that person. If that person can get to a place of changing his behavior, but he needs real people to walk down that road with him to show him about that behavior, just like my wife stepped in and other people stepped in, and they loved me right where I was and then didn't tolerate me, didn't realize that the behavior of who I was needed to change before I could ever get to anywhere. Because when you find one that's in the midst of addiction, uh, we are the most manipulating people that you would probably ever meet. Not because we want to, it's just because of the habit. And that part has to change. and. We, you know, we, we lie about every little thing. That part has to change. That's the behavior of who we, we become. And I, I tell parents that all the time and try to educate people all the time with what we're doing and, you know, with, with the book, Don't Give Up On Me, Shedding Light on Addiction, and try to educate that with doctors um, speaking in the book and tell you what happens to a person's brain and what happens to the mindset and how... Um, drugs alter their mind and changes them and takes them to another place and it makes a person escape from the reality of what's really real and it's a place where you go in you don't want to come back you just want to stay in there 
um, because your mind has been altered and you get comfortable in that place. And that's how that's what addiction does. It it brings that comfortability to you, so you don't have to really deal with life, and you can just not have to feel, and you can hide in this place. But at the same time, we don't know the deadly dangers of it. We we don't ever think it's a da- it's a very dangerous place. We just think it's a very comfortable place for us to be able to escape, so we don't have to really. Um, relate to life and people, and we just shut down and we and we go into a whole different place. And it's, and it's not until we get to a place where we stop using. That's the only way we get to recover. Is, is getting to a place of learning to stop, and we need help to get to that place to learn to stop. So to finally climb out and make this recovery. Um, you went through rehab quite a number of times, and it was quite a number of attempts to to get your life together the way that it's thriving, the way that it is clearly today. What can you share with people as encouragement that are struggling with that and, and maybe have tried multiple times? Well, you, of course, I tried multiple times, but I, I needed to take responsibility. I needed to get, I needed to grow up and... You know, that was pointed out to me lots of times. You need to just grow up, you need to just grow up. But finally it clicked in, you know, when Tracy was telling me, you need to grow up, you need to take off the uniform, you're not a baseball player, you need to take responsibility for your past. And if you don't ever take responsibility for your past, you, there's no future. And I think a lot of times I only encourage anyone who is struggling and who has this serious problem with addiction is, is deal with your past, clean up, clean up your side of the street of your mess, because that's going to bring you bring you back to healthiness and, and allow you to be healthy. Because a lot of times, most addicts are thinking about um, what they've done instead of who they are. Hmm. Um, they, they, that's what that's what they think about life. Because that's why I used to think about. I used to always think about my failures and I've let people down. I'm ashamed and the guilt, and I could never get well. Instead of you know getting to that place and, and thinking of who I am, the person that I can be, as I, as the person can start on a new journey and I can move forward and I can help someone else. You you don't realize that you could be a help to someone else more than more than the hinder the people because people are going to listen to you that's been down this road and you've struggled with this and you walk in somewhere to try to help somebody else. They're gonna. Pay attention and listen to you, and you could be a help to somebody else. So that's what it was for me. I mean, I think I think when when we learn and understand about addiction, we learn that we go through that process, and then we get into recovery. Then it's no longer about us; it's about helping others. And when you get into that place of helping others, then you realize that you have come to a place of purpose in your life because you have been somewhere and done something. It's just like anything else, um, anything else we deal in, uh, anything else that people in life deal with and they become you know just like a doctor he becomes great at what he's doing because we guess what he's doing he's doing surgery and he's helping somebody else you know it's the same thing in this area of life of addiction when you've been an addict guess what you get to go back and give back and help somebody else and make a difference in somebody else's life so let's talk about that you discovered that and uh, i mean it comes through your passion for helping others and helping them find their way so walk us through that. You, you, um, you're an ordained minister. You've written a book. You have a foundation now um, to help others. 
tell us a, a little bit about that and tell us about how uh, how you're you're helping people well, I like saving to tell, lives. I like to tell people that uh, it's a process. It's not an overnight miracle. And I think a lot of times people want an overnight miracle, especially addicts. You know, they want instant gratification. Fix me right now. We all and, do, though. I'm, that's America, right? Yeah. <laughs> we all want quick fixes. Exactly. And it, it, it's this process that we have to go through, Greg. You, you go through this process of being educated, re, re-educating yourself. And, you know, mine was not, you know, from the rooms of recovery. Mine was from church and faith in God, you know, and and really connecting with God and really getting into the relationship with God and and starting walking a different road and start living a different way and started obeying the commandments. And so many people say, well, the commandments is hard because you can't do this. I should not do this. I should not do Well, you don't really want to do all this stuff. So when I did decide to enter in, I finally decided to enter in with God and I just realized how cool he really was and I realized how much he really loves me. And most of us stay away because we, we don't think he loves us because of what we've done. And that's, he's just totally the opposite. He wants you to come because of what you've done so he can heal you, so he can restore you for your hurting inside so you can be well, so you can make a difference. And that's what it was for me in my life. And it takes people to help people. And when people start understanding the importance of reading the Bible, is everybody in there, everybody in there had problems, just like we have them down here. Help people wrap their heads around that because people don't like change. You're clearly thrilled about that and about that pivot point where you had that moment and uh, the aha moment, the awakening. It's, it's such a joy, you know, because <laughs> the people don't, they, they, they don't understand it because they never step in, they never enter in. You have to enter in first. You have to commit. Okay, it's just like me playing baseball. It's just like a lawyer going to school to be a lawyer. What does he have to do? You have to commit. And when you commit, what else do you have to do? You have to be disciplined. You have to bring some discipline in. And I had to bring discipline in when I was playing baseball, and I had to bring discipline in when I entered in with God. I had to commit first, commit myself to Him, and then I had to be disciplined to study. And I had to be disciplined to show up and go to church. And I had to be disciplined to go up, go to groups, and I had to be disciplined in all those areas of my life before growth can even come. Because if I'm not disciplined, there's no growth. Because I won't, it was the same in baseball. If I wasn't disciplined enough to train myself and work out and go work out and run, run the base and stuff like that, I would have never become good at that. And it's the same way with, with one working with God. He's got to do the same thing. He's got to make a commitment. He's got to show up even when he doesn't feel like it. And that's when things start to change. Because this, this, is, this is about Christ himself um, saving people that were lost 2,000 years ago and the same today. And it's, he's going, God's gonna always do the same, Greg here. He's gonna always use people to help people. He's always done it, he, he did it back then, and he's doing it now. He's speaking loud, he says, I'm gonna bring my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and come back, then I will be able to use my people to help other people. My wife's ministry, findingyourway.com, um, our ministry, uh, strawberryministries.org, um, they have all kind of resources and books and information and teachings and everything um, to, to lead people and guide people, to direct people to the right place. And we gotta, get, we, we gotta start directing people to a place of faith more than anything. And we, we, we've tried everything else. It's been here for everything else. And, and it's not working. And, and I think it's a call 
you know, for the faith leaders and churches and, and, and what we're trying to do here together in Ohio is coming together um, to make a movement. And then you, we need to make a movement down uh, that has to do with faith, spiritual faith, because they can go to treatment all they want for those 28 days, 90 days, whatever it may be. But what do they do after that when they get out? That's the key right there. We got to be able to have we got to be able to have safe haven places where they're getting biblical principles and teachings um, taught to them in their life. That's going to help them continue to move forward because a lot of kids come in in and out of treatment because there's nowhere to go after they get out of treatment. They go to a halfway house and the halfway house send them back out there and let them just do whatever they want. And before you know it, they're not equipped. They don't have a foundation. And if you don't have a foundation, you're going to perish. And I think that's the answer is is really being able to put real tools in their hands so they can understand and keep pursuing, you know, programs, you know, that speak about what's wrong with me. Darrell, speak just a little bit more, if you could, about your mission here in Northeast Ohio. What brings you to Elyria today, to the Haven of Rest, for well, a big event that you have this evening, right? Big event, Epidemic of Hope. Um, with the Attorney General, um, of course, with um, Pastor Greg, Pastor Jerry, um, just gentlemen who has a heart uh, to bring about a mission to help. Um, it's an urgency to, with the epidemic that we're having, especially the state of Ohio is number one in overdose deaths. You know, and if we don't, if we don't move as people, um, it's not going to happen. It's, it's going to take people, like I said before, to make a move, because we are the solution. We have we have the answers, we have the tools, we have the programs, and if we can put them into the uh, political arena, and then not them not being afraid of faith in Christ and Jesus, you know, being spoken to help, um, then they'll see a change but if they you know if they're going to stay in the same place we can never we can never get anywhere we can never make a difference and we can never save some of these lives that are being unnecessary lost because these lives should, should not be kids should not be losing their life before kids should not be losing their lives before their parents they, they they're too young they're you know 19 20 years old you know they're dying already and they haven't even had a life in front of them and, and we and we as people we have to uh we have to speak out more and we have to be bold about speaking out on it um so do you have some final thoughts that you'd like to share with uh, with our listeners perhaps about the opioid epidemic well i just like people to really get involved uh, from the state of Ohio, uh, when we have the epidemic conference, when you hear about them, uh, get involved. Communities, get involved. Come out here, educate, so you can be a help. You might not have a child who's affected, but you might. Everyone knows someone that has someone, and your involvement in the community to help can make a difference in the community. Stop. We we need to stop sitting around and say, "Well, these these problems are not in our community." You know, they're everywhere. They're in every community. And, and, and we as people, you know um, you know a program is going um, and you have a conference, uh, show up. Um, just come come to here. You know, I think people need to really get back into that place where I need to get involved. I need to stop sitting on the sidelines saying those people over there have this problem. You know, this is not those people. Those people's lives matter, and we need to all remember that. God loves all of us. He, he loved all of us first, and he will always love us, and everybody's life matter. Thank you so much. Thank you. We've been talking today with Daryl Strawberry, a prolific slugger that played for both the New York Mets and the New York Yankees between 1983 and 1999. 
However, despite eight consecutive All-Star Game appearances and four World Series championships, his 17-year baseball career was plagued with struggles. After being suspended from Major League Baseball three times for substance abuse and two failed marriages, Darrell turned his life around when he turned it over to God. Today, Darrell is making a difference in the opioid epidemic. My name is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.